In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we heard a couple weeks ago, when God gave his people the Ten Commandments, he prefaced them with the gospel. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slaves. This is what God has done for you. He has destroyed your enemies of death and hell and slavery to sin. He has promised you an inheritance with him in heaven. So when you hear of a true God like that, it seems to follow so obviously. Why would I need any other God? The one true God has given me life and breath and provides for all my needs of body and soul. This is the sum and substance of the Christian life, to have the true God as your God. It's not a commandment you simply learn once and then leave behind to move on to bigger and better things. This commandment is the foundation of everything. So having another God would be absurd. What more will another God give that I don't already have in the one true God? But consider what's going on in today's reading. Moses has been up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments from God himself. But he's been gone a long time. Forty days. More than a month. And it's not like the people don't know where God is. They can see the Lord's glory on the mountain like a devouring fire. The Lord who had delivered his people was still very clearly with them. And yet these people give instruction to Aaron. We don't know what happened to this Moses guy. So you should make us some new gods. The true God was still very clearly with his people. But he seemed distant. The people wanted gods to be among them. They didn't think they were rejecting the true God. They were just adding some more. They aren't replacing God, at least not right away. Now, I doubt that many of us, if given the option, would say we want to put anything above God. And yet we still try to use other things to fill in where we think that God hasn't provided. After Aaron forms this calf out of gold, he proclaims, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. The people think they're still worshiping God. See, they might say, we still have the Lord. We're just supplementing him and filling in some gaps. But the the introduction of a false god will also lead to false worship. The golden calf is not God. The golden calf didn't rescue them from Egypt or save them with a mighty arm. Until five minutes ago, that calf didn't even exist. So not only are the Israelites worshiping a false god, they're worshiping a god who doesn't even have any real existence in itself. They're worshiping something they themselves created, worshiping their own skill. 
Or we could say they are worshiping themselves and calling themselves the true God. Now, every false god is dangerous. Though it has no existence in itself, there's a hazard. Because it tempts and entices us away from the true God, eventually leading to the destruction of true faith. Now, in every commandment, God gives and protects something. With the first commandment, God gives to us his most, the most precious treasure, himself. Because God wants us to have what is good. None of the false gods can do what he's already done. No false god can save you. No matter how much trust you place in them, they will fail you. Only Jesus saves. And he does so by his cross and resurrection. He saves us without our help. And he sets us free from every false god by his grace alone. Jesus saved us by fulfilling the law in our place by having no God but the true God as his own. He trusted in his Father alone, and he had no other gods. And he did it for you. And you receive his promise by faith alone, given to you wholly and completely as a gift. And even in his fulfillment of this commandment for you, Jesus gives you what the commandment demands. He gives you himself. And wrapped up in his gift of himself are another two gifts. God's name and his word. Two gifts that belong together. For in giving us his name, God gives us the gift of talking to him. Of calling upon him in time of trouble. And with the gift of his word... God gives and preserves the gift of him talking to us. We might put the meaning of the third commandment this way. I, your God, am going to speak to you, and you shall listen. After all, if there's only one God, and he is your God, he doesn't do you much good if he's not going to tell you anything. A silent God is the most frightening kind of God because you'll never know anything about him. You won't know what his nature is, what he wants, or what he thinks about you. So God gives you the gift of his word, the gift of preaching about himself and what he thinks about you. And the God who has given you all that you have and are wants to talk to you. He wants you to know and to trust him. And yet, how often do we find ourselves bored with the Bible? Even though God's gift of his word is our greatest treasure on earth, how quickly we find ourselves ignoring it or being apathetic toward it. How often do we think we've heard some of these things over and over and we don't need to hear them again? How often do we find ourselves bored with the catechism? Or we let our mind wander during church. We've downplayed the study of God's word, acting as though it's simply irrelevant information, as though we need preaching that's more relevant than God's own divine word 
to us. Now, if the first commandment is about devoting our heart to God, then the third is about devoting our ears to him. If your heart is devoted to God, then your ears will be attentive to everything that he says. And then the second commandment also follows. If your heart believes God and your ears hear what is true about him, then your mouth will also confess the truth. Yet is your mouth and tongue devoted to God and his word? Do you swear and think little of it? Do you blurt out a curse or something harmful when you are hurt or something tragic happens? The tongue is the hardest thing to control. Before we can even think, we've blurted something out. Our tendency to break this commandment follows from our neglect to hear God's word rightly. Perhaps you know someone who is deaf or hard of hearing, who can voice some words. But since they can't hear accurately, their speaking is off. It doesn't sound like what we expect. It's the same with God's word. When we don't rightly hear his word, we won't know how to rightly call upon him. Jesus also tells us in John 8 that only the one who abides in his word is truly his disciple. So if you love God and abide with him, you'll show up where he is. Now, some will tell you that going to church doesn't make you a Christian. And to a point, they're right. But let's consider how it does make you a Christian. There is a way that going to church makes you a Christian and keeps you a Christian. Not because of the act in and of itself, but because of what happens at church. The church preaches God's word day in and day out. And the one and only thing that makes people Christians is God's word. So go to that place where the word is preached. Go to that place where Christians are made. They're made in the font, in the sermon, at the altar. So desire to be in God's house, to be in the presence of the only God. Now, even as I'm prone to this myself, I don't understand how easily we find something more important than God's word. How easily other less important things become our excuse for being absent from God's house. But the point in all of this is that the third commandment teaches us not to skip church, not to despise preaching in God's word, because if you do, you will fall away. And so will those around you. God is the creator of our hearts and our mouths and our ears, and he should know the best way to use them. He has the right to command us to fix our hearts on him, to set our ears upon his word, to set our mouths to speak his name. But all too often we don't. But the solution to all of this is Lent. Returning to the Lord your God, who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The solution is Christ's suffering and death for your sins. 
Because Jesus has remembered God and his word all the times that you have forgotten. Jesus comes here even today, even now, to sanctify and to justify you. Jesus' heart is pure and holy, and his mouth and ears follow his heart. His perfect and holy faithfulness and obedience are given to you today entirely by his word. So that now when God looks at your heart, he sees the heart of Jesus. When God hears your voice, it is the voice of his own dear son. When he looks at your ears, he sees the perfect and holy ears of Christ. For that is what you are already now in Christ. So instead of using God's name in vain, call upon it rightly. Pray, praise, and give thanks. Call upon him in, tri- in time of trouble and trial. When you see tragedy, make the sign of the cross on yourself. Pray for deliverance from evil. And remind yourself of your baptism into Christ and his promise that the greatest disaster will never befall you. When you see the evil in the world, pray, Lord, have mercy. And teach your children to do the same. Teach your family to come to church with you and sing hymns. Talk to them about the sermon and pray with them. And when you fail to do these things, don't condemn yourself. Just repent. Ask for God's forgiveness and get up and try again. Don't go too long without God's word. Because Jesus is here to give you what is good. So we pray that the words of Jesus would dwell in us, that they would transform our wishes and desires so that they would be in tune with the will of God the Father, that hearing God's word rightly, we would also speak it rightly and know and trust the one and only true God. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.